Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson, Ian Salmon, and I'm absolutely overjoyed. Gareth Roberts and Mike Gerling are joining us. And the reason why is because I think this is the last go of what about Steven Gerrard? Wasn't he spectacular? That you can sort of get away with in public. You can have your quiet conversations in a boozer. And Mike Gerling has them every other day. But, <laughs> every day. Every day. But you, we're now at the last time round. He's announced that he's going to retire from football. So we'll have a chat about that in a minute. Then we're going to talk about the importance of this side picking itself up. We've already spoken to Steve Goldsmith uh, about. Uh, Sunderland and what we can expect from them this weekend so we'll be dropping that in for you later on in the show and then as we get close to half past seven we'll talk about how Liverpool should approach Sunderland I suspect Gareth Roberts is going to say with absolutely no nonsense and to get stuck into them early but that's not unreasonable that's all to come though here on Radio City Talk with the Anfield rap but let's do it let's go through Steven Gerrard and there's no opening question because I want to end this part where you each pick your three favourite moments and it can be anything you want you each pick your three favourite moments from Gerrard so Let's sort of acknowledge that, Mike, you know, I think it's almost, for me, this has been a bit cleaner than when he left or when he announced he was going and that you're more able to have that distance from it and just be able to acknowledge how astonishing astonishing a career he has actually had as a footballer. I think you're right, Neil. I think the last time, because he was going on to play somewhere else as well, it was a little bit like... Um, you're saying, you know, you're saying, you're saying his, his career's over, and it actually wasn't at the time when it is now. And, and I think, and I think, with that uh, year and a half, whatever it was, where he spent in LA, basically having a laugh by the by the looks of things, because by all accounts, you know, he wasn't really putting his back into the into into it there. But uh, you know, you know, it, now you can look back and go, he how unique he was. And I think that's the thing about Gerard. Um, for those of us lucky enough, you know, um, to have lived through his career. From the you know from those eighteen years from his debut to to, to his final game a year or so ago, he was a once in a lifetime player, and that that's without getting sort of uh, misty eyed because he was so he was so unusual as a footballer. I often think about this that um, people some people don't get Gerard and that they go oh you know you get you you get the odd one who will say like Scholes was a better say attacking midfielder or X player was a better. Vieira was a better defensive midfielder or, you know, Roy Keane or something like that. But that's really misses the point. The point is about Gerrard is he was he was unique because he could play so many different positions. And if football if football was like a one man game, he'd be the greatest footballer who ever lived. Do you know what I mean? Because he, because there's no one who's gonna take him, no one's gonna be able to beat him. He's like a decathlete in terms of football. And uh, that's so unusual that is in terms of football. He's like, and if you're, you know, you know, I can get, I can go on about Gerard forever. If you're a, if, if you're a little kid and you want to be a footballer, you want to be, you want to play like Steven Gerrard. He's like when when you're a little kid. I've got a little boy, and he has like his little Hulk. But but Hulk just isn't Hulk. Hulk flies planes as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He does all kinds of stuff. Like if you want to be a footballer, you want to be him because you're going to do everything on the pitch and you're going to be the best at it on the pitch. I like that decathlete comparison, uh, Gareth. It is actually quite neat, and I think it is actually completely opposite. He was, you know, the bit. He, uh, it, it is intriguing as to whether there was quite a moment across the 15 year spell of Gerard whether or not he was the best at X. Whereas he was probably quite consistently across the 15 years and certainly for that middle period 
from about 05 till 2010, he was probably in the top three at the most things in the world. And that's that's quite a fascinating thing, really. And it shows, shows a lot about him as a person in terms of his own development, not just his own talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought... I was watching the Champions League highlights this week on the telly and uh, Paul Ince was one of the uh, pundits and he was talking about Steven Gerrard and I thought, I thought he was quite interesting on him. Uh, I, I did the tale that he referred to before, but it was just sort of... It's, you know, it was coming out of his mouth this time and he was saying about, you know, sort of first experience of Gerrard for him. He said they had a game at Melwood and he said him and Redknapp were in midfield in one side and Stevens on the other side and he said this lad who didn't know who he was flies in on him takes his ankles, leaves Inti sprawling. And uh, in said, like, you know, started to pull myself up off the floor and I expected this lad to turn around and say, oh, you know, sorry, Inti. And he said, he just snarled at me and walked away. And uh, I, I was watching it thinking, go on, Stephen. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, he said he said himself, Ince, I mean, they, they were having a bit of a laugh with him about how basically saying Stephen was better than, than he was. And he, he was fine to take that almost, which was surprising. But he but he, he said the same. He said he could do everything. He said he could win tackles, he could pass, he could shoot. He was an inspiration. But I think I think what's the key thing for me, the key thing about Steven Gerrard for me is that he was one of ours. And um I think that matters loads. I mean, as well as him being world class and as well as him being able to do all these different things and play in different positions, the fact that he was one of ours was key to me because every time he got the ball you thought something could happen. You thought he could make something happen. And you also had no doubt in your mind that he wanted Liverpool to win just as much as you did. Mm. And, and, you know, Liverpool have bought players from all over the world at different times. Some of them have had attitude problems. That goes without saying, simply because the amount of players that have gone through the club at times. I think when you were watching Steven Gerrard, you knew that lad wants Liverpool to win. He's a Liverpool fan. He's a Liverpool fan on the pitch, but with a great deal of ability as well. One of the things that struck me, and it struck me the first time around, but it's, it's happened again almost in greater numbers this time, Ian, is the the response of his fellow professionals, those who played both with him and those who played against him, is something that I've not really seen in comparison to a number of other footballers. And I think it's obviously easier for them these days with the way in which social media is, for them to control their own message, to feel as though I can say, if I'm Shabby, if I, if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm Shabby Alonso, I haven't got to wait until I next get an interview. I can just say this is what I think of this fellow myself. Yeah. So I think that helps. Or but if you're Luis Suarez or you're Barcelona or you're... But it, it's the sheer numbers and the sheer weight and mm. the fact that it's all, these are all serious people, isn't point these yeah. are all the, the people who were around as contemporaries the very peak of the game at the time are all coming out and going out of the way to say I don't think you quite understand how good he was and that's what's the fascinating I don't think you all quite understand is almost what's in the tone of some of it I don't think you quite get him and that's quite interesting when it's coming from coming from professional football there's not from some sort of punditry class but but literally just prof- fellow it's, pros going it's literally his peers it's lads he played with it's lads he never played with lads who he possibly never even met are coming out saying he is one of the world's greatest uh, it's quite notable a piece of footage I was watching I, I think we shared it earlier um, El Hadji Juf on French hmm. television um, he's a and he's, he's an idiot yes. and he's criticising Gerard yet again and I don't think there's anybody in the world that gives him any credence apart from whoever lives in El Hadji Juf's head but Manu Petit's next to him and Manu Petit is just aghast at what he's saying he's he correcting stops him, him. Doesn't he, he stops him a few times and it's kind of like Petit never had any reason to be on Gerard's side. He just admired him as a footballer. Well, he wasn't bad himself. And he was an excellent midfielder. And Juve is actually criticising Gerard as a person. Petit is defending him as a person. He's defending him on every level. You've got Petit defending him. You've got Thierry Henry coming out saying he always wants to play with him. And the amount of 
admiration from everybody who was of his era, and we can call it an era now it's over, is absolutely staggering. Well, on this, the, the, this other person thing always strikes me as interesting as well, Mike, that when I say of a per, as a person, mm. where you can get a little bit messy on this is, I think what, what the, it's, it's as a professional, it's mm. as, a, as a football person, not just as a person, mm. but that's the other thing that comes out from me as well. And when Gareth talks about him being sort of one of ours, I think one of the things in this as well is that with the exception of what we'll just call sort of flat earthers, there is this real feeling that there's something inherently decent about yeah. him as a football person. That that again, it's something inherently ultra competitive. We'll do what we'll put you on your backside if he feels as though it's an opportunity, but we'll then pick you up again. And there's there is a thing here which is quite. It's come through from all the talk that he that he's just basically a really decent human who's brilliant at footy. Yeah, it, it, leading on from what Ian said and then into what you said, he's definitely a footballer's footballer. So if you're, a, you know, if you're, if you've been anything in the game, th- th- there's there's proper man love for Gerard. Mm, it's really yeah. strong. You can see it. I've never seen that kind of outpouring, and I'm not just saying that because I'm laser focused on it because he's a Liverpool player. I've never seen it in any in any form where, and it's not even um, individuals; it's clubs. I mean, of course, he was astride the European stage for a good 10 years, playing pretty much every game. So he's had a significant impact across Europe. I mean, there's two finals in there. Three finals, three, three finals. Fi- yeah, yeah, sorry. And uh, the semi-finals as well. So gone on, he's played an awful lot of games across Europe, so he's had a big impact. But And he's got massive of um, masses of those honours that you get when you're in like, the top three players of the year and the UEFA player of the year and all that Seems kind of, of stuff. Year. He's got tons. Of, he's always in them. So there's a huge... But there is an enormous amount of footballer respect in the game, you can tell. But the love is, is as you say, it's, it's more than just football because even you've got people like Suarez saying, off the pitch, you looked after me and all this kind of stuff. And there's a lots of comment about uh, his ex his ex uh, playing partners of how he was to them off the pitch and around the pitch and they always I mean uh, Alonso calls him my captain all this kind of stuff you know the great Xabi Alonso so there's obviously much more to it than his incredible football ability you know he's he, he's obviously a, an all-round top geezer <laughs> it's not <laughs> it, 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 that's one of the things that has struck me Gareth and I think it's worth it is worth dwelling upon because you can go back and I'm going to ask you for your moments in a minute you can talk you can look at the moments but the, I think this is where a lot of the notion that well, he's obviously going to go into management comes from. Whereas I don't, th- I don't think that pressure should be put on him. I think he should actually get to be Steve Gerrard and knock around the house if he chooses to for a mm. couple of years. At the very least, he should get to, you know, if he just wants to coach some sixteen-year-olds, that'd be great. If he do it at Liverpool, even better. Do you know what I mean? I think that they, we put so much pressure on these footballers and all of them. And Gerrard, he's not let anyone down ever. You know, he's not never let us down in any sort of way. But it, you know, I sort of think that the best thing that we could all do now, and 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 the manager, the current Liverpool manager, was quite adamant about it as well in his press conference midweek. Yeah. You know, the best thing that we can all do now is go listen let's give the fella a little bit of space give him a little bit of time let's all say how great he was but then let's you know let, he's got to basically find himself again now find out who he is and what it is that he wants and that that might not be what we might all think that we want it might be something quite different I, I think more than ever though that what Klopp was saying there is why why we'll see Stephen at, at the at the academy in Kirby because that that is out of the spotlight I mean it's a, it's a it's slightly out the way, full stop as a place, and it's not a place that you see loads of media hanging around. It's not a place that Liverpool would encourage loads of media to hang around for obvious reasons. So that that feels to me that a place that he can go and finish his A badge, that he can work with the kids and just get on with it and, and and slightly stay out the spotlight as you as you say. I mean, yeah, Klopp was getting quite annoyed by the amount of sheer amount of Steven Gerrard questions he was having to field, but at the same time. You know, he's got to recognise that the media there have got to do a job, and 
that you know one of the best players of a generation retiring is a story is a story to, to both Liverpool and, and to the wider football world as we, as we saw from the reaction so you know that's it's understandable I mean you know it was quite Klopp as ever did his charismatic stuff, stuff and said some quite funny things I think he said something like you know when he was learning the ropes at Mainz uh, he, he could have done the sessions naked and no one would have noticed uh, whereas that's not quite going to be the, the case for Stephen but I think he's right in in the in the underlying message that we now have to sort of leave him alone a little bit, give him some space, let him decide exactly what it is he wants to do, and then let him do that because because it's not going to be. I'd be very surprised if it's something very high profile that he does next. Just one just one point on something you both said there is about him potentially being a manager. I think it's only now that I've started to take that seriously. Even when he left and even when he was a player, I don't think even his greatest admirers thought he was a nat- he was natural management material. You know, everyone, everyone automatically went, Carragher's your man because he's a student of the game and he knows everything about everybody in terms of football. Whereas Gerard always, he's quite an emotional person as well, so you might have thought he's not necessarily you know, best suited to, to, to management. Could blow up in his face sort of thing. But when you see the, um, the obvious aura he's got around the game and the other you know, players around the world... Then you think maybe then there is something special in there that he, you know, if you can channel it right into management, he could could be quite um, quite something. Should we do your favourite moments after the break? Should we have a break? You can think about it. We'll do okay. that. It's the outfield wrap here on Radio City Talk. Uh, in a minute, these lads are going to tell us their favourite Jedi moments, and then we're going to get stuck into what's going to happen at the weekend against Sunderland. It's all very lovely, isn't it? You're up the final countdown. This is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. And I said before, so we're going to do it at the end of part one, but instead I decided to roll it over into part two. Favorite, three favourite Stephen Gerrard moments. Going order, Ian, Gareth, Mike, over and over again. Uh, Ian, which one do you want to go for first? Can I just say an addendum to what I was saying before? Um, I've accidentally spoken about Stephen Gerrard twice on City Talk in the last two days because on a mixed show yesterday when I was supposed to be talking about the budget but we ended up talking about Stephen Gerrard because he just announced it I don't think we the will the budget Stephen Gerrard had just announced the budget and it was a damn sight better than the Tories that might be his next role I reckon he could nail um, that I don't think I even realised as soon as he announced it what we'd lost it's taken me till today to realise what we lost the footballer because I was thinking about these moments last night without knowing I was going to be talking about them now. Um, do you want one or do you want all three? I'll have the first one. First one. Um, have in no particular to. order, but I'm going for the glory. Olympiakos. Olympiakos. Olympi- Olympiakos. He sets up everything else. It's fantastic. He's stood in the middle of the pitch, screaming for that ball to come for, for him. He's screaming for the full 30 seconds before it's anywhere near him. And then he just hammers it and it's beautiful. Okay. Gareth Roberts. Uh, so we're doing one at a time, one at are we? Time, yeah. Okay, so uh, I'll go with uh, Skinner Gerrard um, against Manchester United at Anfield. Uh, what, one of the greatest things about Steven Gerrard for me is that he played football like a scouser in my brain, if you like. So, in other words, basically strutting around the pitch going, I'm boss me. And I'm better than you, and I'm definitely better than Manx. And uh, is so that screamer that he fires past uh, Bartes, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that's an absolute beauty. I love it, and I, I, I watch it over and over. It's just it's just scouts to even try it from that distance, and then to actually put it away. Well, not many people can do it like that. Okay, uh, Mike Gilly. Uh, first one I'm going to go for is his debut goal against Sheffield Wednesday, because um, I was there. Of you know, I think and. Yep. Um, he, 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 everyone knew that he was going to be that he was because there was a lot of talk about Gerard anyway, but he hadn't, but he still hadn't sort of scored until that moment. But that's it's a great goal for anyone to score, but for it to be your debut goal, um, 
is just quite something because it's because uh, beforehand he he put in some big challenges, been around the pitch, sprayed the ball around, and all that kind of stuff. And you thought he's a tough player here, but that kind of ability and grace and skill to think, to do that, take two players on, then slot it. Something was just before everyone just sat back in the chair and aye, aye, you know, this is something special. Here. You know why else that that was important as well, and this doesn't get talked about much. There was a time where there was actually a doubt about Steven Gerrard. Mm. You know, he had all the problems. He had the, yeah. pro- the problems with his back mm. that he grew up too fast and all this sort of right, thing. Yeah. There was problems with his body. There was there was question marks about whether he'd make it. Basically, mm-hmm. so you know, when he when he scored that goal, I think most of those question marks started mm. to go away. Okay, in your next one. Next one uh, again, very very obvious. West Ham in the cup because you had all the obvious ones in. Well, I'm going for all the obvious ones. <laughs> I'm a very obvious person. I'm very simple to please. Um, well, 35 yards to, uh, to, to yeah. equalise are always good ones. Are always yeah. good ones. But that one in particular, because that game was completely over because I was sat directly above when he hit it and you were ready to go home. It was over. The game was finished. There was no way back in. You kind of got used to the fact that we weren't going to be, you know, this wasn't going to be our day and West Ham were going to win the cup. And that moment, he was the only person on the pitch who could have changed that because nobody else managed it. Okay, Gareth. Uh, another one uh, where he's basically being needly. Um, Liverpool had a great record on the whole against Everton while Steven Gerrard was in the side and while Jamie Carragher were in the side. And I don't think, I don't think that's a fluke. Um, and so the one that he scores, it hasn't stopped to... since, really, has it? No. no. But I mean, I think I think it's very important. I think that, that Everton are rubbish. That, well, there's there's that, but also there's, there, need, there needs to be a tone set in the dressing room, doesn't uh, yes. he? And I don't. I think with those two knocking around, Carrad and Gerard, I think it was always going to be set. Um, but yeah, Gerard when he scores, the one where he goes outside, puts it in the other corner from the edge of the box, and then runs the length of Goodison Park, cup in his ear, superb. Okay, Mike. Do you know what? I've changed my mind here. I was gonna, I was going to do another goal because he's because by the way the only person who can compete with Gerard's top goals video reel is Roy Race. <laughs> there literally isn't a tapping. Every one of them's an absolute barnstormer, right? So I was going to do Middlesbrough, and then I was thinking about Marseille second game, which is that ridiculous That's goal, and he's not even facing the right way, which defies physics. But then I thought, no, there's more, there's much more to him as well than that. The amazing goals, playing Manu at Anfield. He tracks Wayne Rooney back about 50 yards. Wayne Rooney's just about to get to the edge of our area and shoot, and he slide tackles him. And it's just unbelievable that he managed to do it, come away with the ball and do that as well. Do you remember that? Yeah. It's an absolute stunning challenge, and he chases him down the pitch to do it. That, I'm having that as my number two. Okay, uh, I loved just off, off the goals point. I loved the, uh, the all the, the the gifts this week. But my favourite one by a mile was the clipped through ball to Sturridge at Fulham. Yes, yeah. where it's, it's check side. It's the check side. It's the fact that it's it's, it's into his path. He's, he's, he's hit across the ball mm. a forty yard through ball. He slips before he hits it. As well. Yeah, it's just phenomenal, uh, mm. Ian. Not a goal. Possibly still obvious, but not a goal. Um, coming on in the derby and clearing the ball off the line as the first thing he does. Pumping his fist in the air and celebrating like he's just scored a match winner. It, it was fantastic. I think it set up the attitude that he had throughout his entire career of how much the team actually mattered to him. Okay, Gareth? Uh, yeah, we, we've got a huge picture of this in the Anfield Rap studio. And it's um, Stephen Gerrard kissing the camera at Old Trafford. And the reason I love that is because not only was he did he just want to win there, like I said before, he wanted to rub the noses in it. He wanted to do something that wound Manx up because he's a scouser and that's what we do. And so he did that. And we all cheered, and it was boss. Uh, and it's 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 possibly my favourite image of anything ever, mm. uh, Mike. Okay, lastly, uh, closest we ever came to win the league was uh, under Rogers with uh, Gerrard and, and Suarez and Sturridge and Sterling in, in all um, all firing. But what got that run going was in the ninety third minute against Fulham, when we had a penalty and we had to win. 
we had to win in order to have any chance to stay staying with Man City or the season would have ended there and then and it was I don't think anybody was watching no one could look I was I think I faced the other way and the only person who didn't think he was going to miss was Gerard and the celebration after it when he whipped it off and he was like Wolverine Diving towards the, diving towards the crowd. It's just unbelievable. And I think everybody went out. Everybody went out and got on it that night. I know I did. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal stuff. Thank you very much. So let's talk about picking yourself up and all that sort of stuff as well. Let's talk about the fact that this is... Th- I mean, it's a nice game, Ian. This next one against Sunderland. Yeah. If you could pick anyone, it'd be one of the... You know, you'd, pick, you'd take bottom three at home after you've just dropped points when you're in a title race. But the manager's been all week. It's been about have the right attitude. You had the right attitude straight after Southampton. We've, we've dropped some points, but we played well. It's been very much keeping everyone going, everyone upbeat. And, and that's got to c- continue itself right the way into 3pm on Saturday, both on and off the pitch. Yeah, there was talk that immediately after the game, he wasn't bothered about the result. He wasn't bothered about the performance. It wouldn't be because the performance was you know, pretty damn good on the whole. But he was a little upset by the atmosphere of despondency and gloom the way of dropping two points so what he wants to do is change the players attitudes that apparently I think it is a case of Sunderland have looked a bit better in the last couple of games than they have the rest of the season but that's not particularly hard you don't need to do a great deal only to look better than, they've only won two and they were the last and two. they were the last two <laughs> so to look better than they had the rest of the season that was all they had to do they had to do the bare minimum of actually winning football matches I think I made the point on the show earlier in the week that if you want to keep yourselves at the moment, what you're going to need is top-class defenders underneath a manager who knows how to marshal top-class defenders effectively in order to break us down. You can't just pump, you can't just park the bus against us any longer and hope that you can pump long balls up. What you need is that combination of great defenders with a tactically astute manager, and I don't think Sunderland have got either of them. I think it's that interesting this because you know we we all know about Moyes' record at Anfield. Uh, largely as an Everton manager, obviously uh, played thirteen, won North, drawn seven, lost six. In case you were wondering, and Sunderland also haven't beat us in the Premier League. So there's those things there to start off with that suggest you there might there might be a problem with where they might be mentally. Also think as well behind the scenes that if you if you're looking at the fixture, the same way do we pick up our points to avoid relegation? Anfield when you're playing Liverpool in this form isn't one of them. But all that aside, what's interesting for me is that these last two results they've got they've essentially played a four four two with a Nietzsche be near Defoe now is he really going to have the bottle to come and do that at Anfield and if he hasn't got the bottle to do that what do you do with a Nietzsche who's actually played quite well in those games from what I've seen if you drop him to the wing he's been, I don't think he's very effective there so, so what he's been do? playing him on and off a slot of flank it's been a bit of a fall he's, bit, bit, he's quite sort close of, he's close to Defoe one of the problems what, with Defoe has been he's been too isolated and what, what more sort of works between the midfield and those two and so there's been, been a little bit there but I, I think he will go with that but I think you're right and that suddenly he might be going as big holes mm. that it, it won't take more than 10 minutes for there to be big holes the only question is and this is what one of the things that that struck me is they've already worked the out ball out though because they're not why it's interesting I think is because they're not very good Gareth mm. because but because they already know they're not very good the way they've gone into the last couple of games has been right how do we get out against anyone we play and the answer's been an each be yeah. whereas when we play Southampton Southampton haven't really worried all season about what the out ball is the reason why is because they're a good football team we'll get out we'll play our way out yeah. they couldn't do that against Liverpool Liverpool were too good for them whereas it's whether or not Sunderland are so poor that even though they might have solved the out ball problem it won't make any odds or whether or not they're able 
to sort of go, well, we're used to being the second best side on the pitch and this is how we cope. Because, for instance, when they were at home to Hull, they had less possession than Hull. Mm-hmm. So it's whether or not the idea is, well, we'll just play with this anyway, we'll keep doing this because this is what we've been doing. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing because we're obviously not Hull. Um, and we're so not Hull. And it, if we have more possession than you... We'll beat you nine times out of ten, that's the thing. And, and that, that's the dilemma for them. And I think they're going to be looking at it and thinking, well, you know, how do we get something out of this? The other thing I'd say about Sunderland as well is, which is interesting, is that... You know, there's been times, again, I'm only watching highlights, I'm not sitting watching Sunderland every night in my undies, but uh, the there's been times where they, they should have got something out of games and they haven't and the reason they haven't is they've basically shot themselves in the foot there's been loads of individual errors loads of what looks to me like a mental problem in terms of oh no we're 1-0 up what do we do now so I'm not worried about it in fact I did a Q&A with the Sunderland website this week and I I predicted 5-0 and to be honest to be honest I was being kind it's, it's mortifying Mike I did one with a podcast and you're like they say what's in the score will be and you're like you feel you watching feel it. awful yeah, but you actually it. do think I think it'd be four lads mm. I was actually saying you know we, we played Watford and we scored five within an hour mm. and I'm annoyed we didn't score more than six mm. and that sounds awful mm. if, when you're at the bottom of the table listen we'll find out what Mike Gerling thinks after the break this is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk and we'll also find out what a Sunderland supporter Steve Goldsmith thinks he'll be with us in a second speaking now to Steve Goldsmith always good to speak to Steve I, I, we did the other way round and Steve it's, it looked like a win was practically impossible to come by you beat Bournemouth you smashed Hull 3-0 and each of being Defoe looking good you're alright aren't you it's if it, it's almost a shame you're playing us now because I think you're going to say in a minute you still don't fancy getting a result at Anfield but but all that said it's it's certainly a lot better than where it was three games ago yes absolutely and credit to the manager for it because I know I spoke briefly after the Bournemouth game um, and I and I said that he'd look to be changing his methodology a little bit. And, and first and foremost, he's, 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 he's looked at a way to try and win a game. Because it's all well and good talking about philosophies and, and long-term plans and long-term strategies. But you need to coach your players to win a game. And we, we see it a lot, don't we? We, we look, at people like, look at people like Mourinho um, blaming everyone and everything uh, you know, on, on his side, not doing well. And you're just thinking, well, just coach your players. Mm. Just, just coach your players and try and get something out of the game. And he's done that, to be fair, mainly through the introduction of an HB, which sounds simple, put an extra striker on um, somebody's target, somebody to hit. But it kind of has been that simple, really. It's just give us a bit of an out ball, it's took pressure off the floor. Suddenly it's give the opposition, opposition defenders something to think about. Because previously, take the out of the game and we are done for. And now, if I understand it right from the way in which it looks as though you're lining up, it's a Nietzsche be sort of floats, he makes himself available, he yeah. plays on flanks, what more does something a little similar, and Defoe is almost just left to completely ghost around, he doesn't have to worry, it's those two who are the out ball, sometimes, you know, sometimes it'll be direct to what more, more often it'll be direct to a Nietzsche be, is that right? Yes, and Nietzsche be sort of fair in between the lines a little bit, uh, not quite a winger, not quite a centre forward. What more is... Um, he gets himself up there as well, but he's got so much energy, he actually does a lot of track and back as well. Don't know what more is actually a centre-forward, um, but because of his pace, he's been getting used wide, wide of a front three, sometimes wide of a front four. So he struggles a bit of time with, with positionally, um, and, and you know, some small sections of the fans have been coming a little bit frustrated by him, but I would certainly say that, you know, it's worth remembering that he is a centre-forward. He played centre-forward for the under-23s. He played centre-forward for England in the 21s. So he's essentially learning a new position. And I think he's doing OK. And 
he, he's been he's involved in all the goals. So those front, front three are doing well. Sorry, I've got no idea what that noise is in the background. It's all right. <laughs> There's, looking at it then, you know, to sort of begin to pick a side together for Anfield. Uh, Debodji is suspended, uh, so mm. you're looking. It's going to have to be a change there. Uh, McNair is injured uh, long term, so there's going to be a change there. Uh, but you're expecting? Will the manager just stick with what's been working for him? It'd be daft not to. I'd say from everything the way you've described, how it all works, because out balls are something that a side that sides have struggled with against Liverpool. So if you know, even if it is a bit agricultural, it suits Sunderland if they did have out balls. That's the that's the first part of the puzzle, basically. Yeah, no, definitely. We we've had this debate on the show ourselves as well, saying you know, um, sides could be forgiven for going to Anfield and, and flooding the midfield and leaving somebody like Jimmy in the forefront by themselves. That would be counterproductive for the reasons I've mentioned earlier. Because if you take the the game, we will be stuck. And, and, and if you concede an early goal, then that entire game plan goes out the window, doesn't it? So I think he will. He speaks a lot as well about and Nietzsche B's frame of mind saying it's equally important to get him mentally right as it is physically right. And it seems like he's a very sensitive kind of guy. And the way the fans have taken to him, he has played a big part in his confidence, I think. So it would, again, seem a little counterproductive to then say, you know, to be to bring him out of the side when he's playing as well as he is. So, yeah, he's not gonna, it's not going to be 4-4-2 flat or anything like that. But I think they'll both play. I think, as you said, I think he'll leave it like it is. Gilabodji suspended. Probably a blessing in disguise because John O'Shea will come back in. Um, John O'Shea probably would have played against Hull, but he's just probably not 100% fit. He probably will be by the weekend. Everybody would prefer that um, anyway. And with um, McNair going out, I would imagine that he would make way for Seb Larson's timely return. Kirchhoff's fit in the squad again as well. Probably not much fit though. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Seb Larson replace McNair in a straight swap. Larson wasn't on the bench though at the weekend even, was he? He wasn't in the 18. Is he Is he closer than, than that would suggest? He's, he's playing. He's, play, he's been playing for the under-23s and he's been playing full game. Right, OK. Um, and he played, the latest one was two or three days ago where he scored in, in a win at Man United. Him and Kirchhoff scored, so that worked out OK for them. Okay, so I mean, generally speaking, then it's what are you expecting from the game? I mean, it's it's going to be tough if you look at Liverpool's record around the season. It's very very strong. It's very much, uh, you know, I think if, if from a Sunderland point of view, having out balls, frustrating Liverpool, getting as deep into the game as possible without conceding, and then you never know. I mean, that that'd be what I'd be looking at. It, you know, to be honest yeah. with you, that that's, that'd be my attitude. Is that likely to be Moises and Sunderland's as well? Yeah, definitely. It's almost the back to back wins, the consecutive wins, six points. Um, have made this a little, into a little bit of a free pass to a degree, haven't they? Um, doubling that up with the fact that the players will have a newly found confidence, because I would be, you know, <laughs> had we lost our last two games and we were going Anfield, I mean, Jesus, it could have, you could have been looking at a Premier League record or something. But the players will go down the no illusions that they have to win this game. We've bought ourselves a little bit of time. Um, I would expect us just to go and try and frustrate. But that out ball is important, as you say, because if we went there with, with no attack and intent whatsoever and then you score an early goal, then, you know, what's the point in even, even bothering, really? But the, the mood's lifted a little bit. It makes or breaks a week for people up here. And, and back-to-back wins, I still think people are quite realistic. And uh, if you ask them honestly, 
we're going to struggle to stay up this season, I think. Um, however, you know, at, at least we we'll look well, like we're going to go out with a fight now. It's the game. Well, it's the game. It does. It is going out with a fight, and I think that's why it's important to actually not to just come and try and just 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 block it off and put men behind the ball. It's saying that making that that clear to your supporters and making that clear to, to your team as well if you're Moyes but it's also worth pointing out the games that follow this you know it's Leicester at home and their away record this season is pretty abject and then it's Sunderland away sorry it's Swansea away sorry both of which feel again they both feel like games where if you said to me now Sunderland's going to get four points from them I wouldn't look at you like you, you like you had two heads so I think it's important isn't it to, the, from a confidence point of view to play some football to not get to not get beaten heavily to to be, to, to, to frustrate Liverpool to really to you know, to maybe find some sort of route towards sneaking a point, or even maybe even a little bit yeah. more. But to have the plan, even if the plan doesn't get executed, is, is what I'm driving yeah. at. No, absolutely. Because I mean, had had we gone to Liverpool with even if we'd only had four points in the last two games, or certainly three or lower, then you'd be looking at a point. You know, I see a hard-earned point at Anfield, like we should have had a Man City on the first game of the season. Yeah. By the way, um, that wouldn't be enough. You'd be saying, "Oh well, that's all well and good. You go to Anfield getting a point, but it's not really enough." At the moment, it'd be a great be point. A great, yeah, yeah, it would be a great point for us. We did something on the podcast the other day, where sorry, not the other day, about three weeks ago, when we, you know, when we were looking really abject and we weren't getting any points on the board, and we had a look at the kind of points total we'd fit, we had around Christmas time in each of the last four or five seasons. The, the four or five years we've been struggling for relegations because people forget we actually had a good four or five years where we just sit at the table before that. Mm. Um, and what we tend to find was. If you're on around, we've been 14 points was around the average, where you need to be at that to sort of be in it and have yourself a chance. Now that looked way off. We did a quick calculation and score prediction and thought we're not even going to get 10 points by Christmas. No, suddenly that doesn't seem a million miles away. Even if you can get to sort of 12, 13, you're giving yourself a chance. Um, depending on what you can do in January, because we're skinned. You know, that, that's the bottom line. The, the, the finances are an absolute mess. But, you know... You never, you never know. But uh, yeah, but there's, there's also now. I mean, I, last time we spoke, well, before that. Sorry, not the last time, but the time before. I was really like, I just don't see where it comes from, which I think is what you're saying. Whereas now you're able to sort of say, well, there's a way to get possibly get something from Anfield. There's a there's there's a way to certainly beat Leicester at home. There's a way to go to Swansea and get something. Then the next one yeah. midweek is admittedly Chelsea at home, but then after that there is home against Watford, and that feels like yeah. it's feasible. Away at Burnley on New Year's Eve, that feels mm-hmm. like it's feasible. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. Now suddenly feels like you could yeah. you can you can sort of say well there's, there's the potential for two three wins there and then and maybe a, maybe a, a couple of really good points that boost everyone it doesn't it doesn't now feel as though it's just a massive uphill for you absolutely and and, and that points back to this weekend in that uh, although it does feel like a free pass you, you you do kind of want them to go there and, and really try and just grind out a point if they could do that it would be massive that would feel like a win to them and then suddenly. You've got two wins, a point there, and you're going into those games over Christmas with confidence again because it's always been confidence. It's always been confidence. We played well the first game of the season in Man City, um, and then we um, I, we had a lot of injuries. Moyes was very stubborn with his, his sort of rigid tactics. It wasn't working, and game by game, you could see the confidence drain from the players against Hull in the second half. I think if we had had another half an hour, or sorry, even another 15 minutes on Saturday, we'd have put another two or three away, definitely. All right then. Uh, before we this uh, game, you want to talk about, but before we talk about that, I want you to. Yeah. I want you to give me just give me a prediction for the weekend. Um, uh, we, no, we're going to lose three 0 
3-0, OK. Um, so what is it that you wanted to talk about? You said you wanted to speak to Liverpool well, supporters. This is interesting because, um, you know, there, there are famous games over the years for your clubs and stuff. Now, ours are less glamorous than yours. Um, that's going to be <laughs> exemplified in, in the example in what I'm, the game I'm going to talk about, actually. Um, because I'm always just interested how Liverpool fans um, remember this game, if they remember it at all. Because I'm wondering how much of it's just turned into a folk tale now and been altered and changed. And it was the last game of the season, um, 1980-1981. So the year I was born, so well before my time, really. Same as me. Um, yeah, Liverpool had finished around fifth, I think. It was the season Villa won the league. Yep. Liverpool won the European Cup, I think, yep. um, a couple of weeks later. Anyway, last game of the season, a familiar story, a familiar pattern. Sunderland went unveiled and they needed a win to stay up. Um, they won one nil, Sunderland, and stayed up. Uh, Bob Paisley, who was Liverpool manager from Hedden, Sunderland fan, got good taste, had good taste. Um, and the story goes that Liverpool practically just rolled over and let Sunderland win. And the centre forwards were Sunderland fans who went there saying the centre forwards, I can't remember which one it was, were rounding the goalkeeper and missing open goals. They were practically doing everything they could not to score. But because they were so much better than Sunderland, they made hard work of it. Um, and that when Sunderland returned to the dressing room, there was a bottle of champagne waiting from Bob Paisley for them. And I just wanted to know if any Liverpool fans of a certain age could remember that game and, and get it from your perspective, really. OK, well, I'll, I'll send a couple of emails, ask a couple of questions, see if anyone was there. But also, in general, if you're listening to this, it's uh, at Goldies underscore Logic if you want to speak to Steve directly about the game uh, and, and find out if that's sort of what happened. It does feel a little... I mean, Liverpool, towards the end of those seasons, if they had a European thing coming up as well, I mean, it was... Uh, mm. it, Liverpool still had two more games, I think, because of Europe that year. They, they went to Middlesbrough and won the next one. Uh, which is also quite interesting that they were able to rouse themselves to go and get something from Ayrson Park, having been beaten 1-0 uh, just before then. Fans love romanticising this kind of stuff, don't yeah. they? And, 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 and the fact that Bob Pearce was a Sunderland fan. Of course. So, so people look at it like that, don't they? And, say, you know, and there was a bottle of champagne allegedly waiting for the players in the change room. So it's just interesting. It would just be interesting to know if that's the impression Liverpool fans got as well, but and the reason it's easy—it's an easy conspiracy theory to to come up with when something like that happens. Yeah, people who were at the game, and again going back, a, you know, a long time now, thirty-five years, but people who were at the game, you know, just say that Liverpool struggled to hide it. Such was the golfing class; they struggled to hide the fact they were doing it. They made it so obvious at times. So. I would just be interested to know if anybody can remember it. I would sort of point out, to be fair, Steve, Liverpool did lose three at home that season. It was a great season for the Reds. They played 42 in the end, and I think they, they, they managed to draw more than they won that year. It was we, we, we win the European Cup, but we do finish fifth. So it, there might have just been a, a shortage of uh, of quality mm. there from the Reds, you know. but they do go on and win the European Cup at, 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 at Wembley that year. But Liverpool finished the season having lost three at home and having um, played 42, won, won 17, drawn 17, and lost eight as ever. LFC history is very useful for this but all right at goldies underscore logic uh, get in touch with him for that and as ever it's a pleasure to speak to steve and we'll uh we'll, we'll see what happens on saturday see you soon steve thanks
Uh, and moving on towards Liverpool seems about seems quite quite appropriate to be talking about this Liverpool side full of stars at the moment. Uh, lads doing really really well. That's a terrible link and one that I'll regret uh, <laughs> as I grow old. It's a, it's a very <laughs> professional link. Then. Yeah, it's oh, feels awful. Makes, yeah, makes me want to throw myself off the top of the tower. But we'll get to the other <laughs> side of it though as we get closer to half past seven. I can't wait. This is the really interesting thing. It's something Ben Johnson said to me the other night, and I, I, I think there's something in it, uh, Mike. I can't wait to watch this Liverpool side play again. Mm. And the one thing I'm sort of not expecting, and this is both a positive and a negative, and maybe at some point in the season we'll say it's a negative. I'm not expecting Liverpool to turn up and go through the motions and get a 2-0. I'm expecting Liverpool to want to put a bit of a show on. And that's obviously, you know, that's a, it's a good thing as long as the show keeps as long as the show does go on. But if it doesn't, then you know, we might be a little bit a little bit stuttery, but I just think they're going to go out there express themselves, play great stuff, and I can't wait to be sitting in Anfield at 5 past 3 tomorrow. Well, it, in many ways, um when when the boys before were talking about, you know, what Sunderland are going to do, I was, I almost think that that's the way the way Klopp has got Liverpool now and the way we are in our development it's almost irrelevant I think I don't think it matters about Sunderland and you know there's there's probably two thirds of the league now where it doesn't really matter to Liverpool what they try and do um, I think we're at that point now where we, we don't really need to we don't really change our game for 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 hardly anyone maybe the top 10% in the league something like that you know what I mean um, so I think Sunderland I can't believe for a minute he won't park the bus he, he, he just he's gone out but I don't think it's going to matter to, for Liverpool at home and so it is a bit of a throwback uh, watching Liverpool now which is great it's because as you say it's it's about I mean I, I've missed you know I've really missed uh, watching it because I didn't go to the away game and it's yeah. been, and so, so it's been ages because of the international break and so you you want to go just on a pure you know, enjoyment of watching football, watching the Reds play football level again. Um, and so that's pretty much, for most of the games in this league now, I think that's how any any, any Liverpool fan who's got any sense should be approaching these games. You just want to watch Liverpool play. What? And, um, you know, we're gonna yes, we're going to miss Lallana. We missed Lallana in the last game. But it's not going to... We're not that focused on an individual player for us in, in order for us to play our game. You know, it doesn't really make... It won't really make that much difference to us. Um, so think, I'm, not, I'm not bothered really about I'll go Gareth first then Ian then, and then Mike I just want to sort of know I think we can all pick the back four we can all say that Firmino's going to start Manny's going to start Henderson's going to start and then it becomes Coutinho's going to start but will he start in midfield or will he start him up front he moves into midfield against Southampton Gareth do you think he might be? He might, he might consider starting Sturridge and not start and want to channel Vinaldum, or do you think he'll start channel Vinaldum and stick with the same front three I think he'll stick with it I mean I, I think there's obviously an argument there to, to put Coutinho in the middle three and put storage in the front three, but I don't think he'll do it. I just don't think he's very keen on once he's found something that he thinks works, he, he sticks with it and he's, you can see that by the number of players he's used. And I think, said over and over that, I think storage will get his chance, but I don't necessarily think it'll be tomorrow. Um, you, you know, the players have all had a week's worth of training. They've had time to recuperate and rest as well, which I think was important after last week. And, and I thought it was quite interesting as well. There's, a, there's an interview just being published that uh, just before we come to record this with uh, with Vinaldum, uh, with Andy Hunter from the Guardian. It's very interesting. But what one bit that was interesting is they're basically trying to get out of him in that interview. What it's like to work for Klopp. And one of the things he says is that you know he, he never he never lets you rest on your laurels. Like every single game, no matter what the score was, you you'll be going into work if you like into Melwood, and and he'll be telling you what you did wrong and, and how you improve on it. And it, he he just said very briefly, Vinaldum. He said that against Southampton. There was times where Klopp wanted me to join in, and he, and he, he didn't think I joined in quick enough. And I thought that was interesting. Mm. So, because that was something we picked up on one of the other shows as well. So I think that sounds to me like he's being coached 
there to improve this weekend on that. Yeah. So for that reason, I think he sticks with the same team. Ian? I think there's, it's going to be predicated on things that we don't know because there was a comment made by Klopp during the week, very quietly, that hasn't really been caught on a great deal, where he mentioned that we're already getting to the point where a few of the players weren't able to fully take part in training sessions this week. So there are already players who have been carrying little niggles and maybe hadn't been at the, the top of their game. I personally, the other thing it might be predicated on is somebody points out to him that we have not had an unchanged team for 40 games. So it depends whether he feels like going for an unchanged team or going for another one game just for the sheer hell of it. He might do that just for a laugh. Uh, but I think there's a very good case to be made for storage playing instead of Chan. Although it was pointed out to me when I talked the other day about Chan looking more likely to lose the ball, why Naldum lost the ball more than Chan did in the Southampton game. So statistically speaking, Chan should be in ahead of Wijnaldum. For me personally, I think Wijnaldum storage in for Chan because we looked more creative as soon as storage came on. Mike? I think he will make a change. And the reason why is I think he's going to expect a reaction. Um, although we were comfortably the better side against Southampton, we were still, and, and, of, and it was coming after the international break, we we still frustrated um, in terms of, we were a little bit, we were, especially in the first half, it took us a while to get going, and I think he's going to want us to start a lot quicker than we than we did. Um, you know, there was a lot, of mis, a lot of misplaced passes, which was unlike us in that game. And I think he, he I think he might want to just put a little bit of a, um, throw a little bit of stone, a stone in the water, a little bit, just make a few ripples, and I think he, I think he may well start one of because we're at home, and I think because because Sunderland are undoubtedly going to put everyone behind the ball, I I think it will be a waste of two central midfielders to play Chan and Wijnaldum. I think he will not do. It. I don't think he'll do that. I think he'll play one of Origi or Sturridge. Okay, uh, predictions, Ian first. Uh, I think it's four goal victory. Four goal victory. But whether that's four nil, five one, or seven three, I don't know. Uh, Mike Curling. I want us to keep a clean sheet. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for 3-0 Liverpool. 3-0. Gareth? 6-0 to Liverpool. 6-0 to Liverpool. Okay, this has been the Anfield Wrap this week. We've had Gerard, we've had Sunderland, everything that you need right the way through. Hope you've enjoyed yourself. Had a lovely time. Let's really be excited about watching this football team this weekend. I, for one, cannot wait to see Liverpool in action again. And then you get to watch them again on Tuesday against Leeds. Uh, exciting times because what more do you want to do with yourself other than watch these mighty, mighty Reds? See you in a bit. Podcast Network.